All right, welcome to another episode of Shadows in the Cave. My name is Edel Zelos, and today we're going to be talking about one of the, I guess you could say, biggest of taboos uh, that Western culture has, which is sex. S-E-X, sex. Uh, we're going to be covering that uh, topic, uh, the many facets of it, um, including sex and culture, which I think is very important because that dictates how we behave towards sex and what we believe about sex. Um, we're going to talk about um, where sex starts as far as when we want to initiate it because it is different from, uh, for females and for males. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about sexual dysfunction and what we could do, some of the interventions that we could do to um, help us out with that. Uh, we're also uh, going to talk about who initiates sex, which is very important as well. Um, and what is abnormal sex as well? We're going to get into that discussion on this episode, among other things, if time allows. But first of all, I wanted to get some things out of the way. I, I'm still appreciating the feedback that I'm getting for you guys uh, listening to the show. Um, there's still improvements that I want to make going forward here in this new year. Um, also, uh, I did decide to bite the bullet, and I am on Twitter now. Um, I, you could type in Shadows in the Cave on Twitter, EdelZellos80, um, and there I am. And I don't have any followers yet because I haven't promoted it. Nobody knows it exists until right now. So if you want to follow me on there or send me a message there, you could. Shadows in the Cave. Um, and uh, my username is edozelos80. So, um, yeah, so I'm on there. I'm also on Instagram on Dead Boy Lost in LA. If you want to re reach out to me there. And on Facebook under Pedro Nunes. If you want to reach out to me right there as well. Um, that is where I am. I'm at so if I did bite the bullet and go on Twitter I hope that's the decision I don't regret because I just don't like that Twitter vibe a lot of the time and if you guys have any suggestions for topics or conversations or whatnot just hit me up on there hit me up on those uh, socials that I just told you about um, I'll be more than happy to answer if you guys have any questions that I could assist you with I mean this is not uh, this is a show more for conversation and, you know, friendly advice. This is not a show that we're where we're going to diagnose anything because we can't do that. Um, so if you want kind of like some of above the level advice, you can reach out to me on the socials that I just gave um, and, and we'll see what we could do. And I'll be more than happy to talk about it with you. Um, so, yeah, so let's talk about sex. The big taboo, right? The thing that nobody could talk about. And I think as the years have gone on, we've become more progressive and accepting about the conversation of sex. You know, sex at its, at its core is a primal form of motivation, uh, a behavior that's organically or innately motivated to keep the human race going. To, he, to keep human beings on this earth. Because without sex, the human race dies, right? So we have, an, we have an organically established sex drive that we tend to um, undervalue sometimes. Especially when we get 
programmed culturally, we turn to undervalue our sex drive. So for anybody that, so for anybody that's always thinking, oh, you know, trying to convince other people to have sex through through the mating process, you don't have to convince anybody to have sex. Everybody wants to have sex. You just have to convince them to want to have sex with you. <laughs> that's the difference, okay? Um, so yeah, so that's pretty much what sex is at its core, you know. And so as as sex has become a a ritual that we do to keep the human race grow, uh, going, because that's how we're able to um, impregnate uh, females and keep the human race going. Um, our our brain, which is incredibly developed, has been able to um, recognize pleasure in sex, triggering brain chemistry that intensifies the act of sex, rewarding the people for the act of keeping the, the species forward. So that's pretty much what's going on here. You know, and so with our with our brain, which is very complex, it's gone so far as to isolate the, the pleasure from the natural part of sex, which is to bring life into this world. So we are the only species that we know of where we have sex for recreational purposes. You know, every other animal on Earth that has to have intercourse um they, they they do it for the sole purpose of creating life, right? But our brain, because it's incredibly developed and it, and it has different uh, uh, brain chemistries and different neurotransmitters that that push out um, pleasure sensors, uh, it, we're, we've been able to isolate the pleasure portion of sex, right? So so in a sense, we've been able to eliminate um, accidental pregnancies and just focus on the pleasure part of sex um, through science and just through the ability to recognize the reward portion of keeping the human race alive. So I think I find that very interesting that we're so um, highly developed that we're able to do that because that's something that um, as, a, as a primal species um, is not really, that's not really something that would motivate us, you know, primarily. So, as we have as we have defined what sex is, it stands to reason that where sex is the basis of survival, right? It's literally a life or death situation for the human species to have sex, and we've created entire cultures. Some philosophers have uh, claimed that our entire motivation is sex, right? I mean, Sigmund Freud. Has has uh, theorized or had theorized that sex and and the sexual uh, pleasures were were one of the main drives. Um, the other one being death, that motor that motivated our behavior, every single portion of it. And so th there is a lot to be said about that because if you look around you, everything is sex, and we've created rituals, we've created. Uh, dances, uh, you know, triggering all of our body's resources from our senses to nonverbal body language uh, to our social standing with our community, um, all for the purpose of sex. We try to control our attraction from the way we dress to our grooming to the careers that we choose. And, you know, yeah, they make us feel good because they help our self-esteem, but there's also 
a secondary, maybe some people would say primary motivation, which is sex. So as you could see, sex is all around us. It's in marketing, right? It's in our music, it's in our films, it's in our poetry, it's in every form of artistic expression. It's all there. And so in a sense, that's what life is, some would say, you know. Some would say that life revolves around sex and our ability or inability to attain it. And, and, and entire cultures and communities have been established for the purpose of not only mating, not only um, attracting a possible mate, but also keeping the offspring safe and keeping um, the offspring you know, allowing them to thrive by having establishing a family. And we're going to get into that in a, in a second here. Just want to once again stress out that sex is arguably the most ubiquitous and important behavior across the entirety of the human race. Right? And, and, and men and women tend to think about sex many times a day. We, we're just so accustomed to it that a lot of times it's our they're just passing thoughts, but it's certainly on our on our mind every day. And again, it, it's it's mirrored by everything around us, you know, from the advertising to uh, to the nightlife that we live. I mean, what, what is the motivation in all these going to parties? You know, um, all these things have to do with sex. But yet, many people are extremely uncomfortable talking about sex. Even even with those people that are close to them, sometimes even more so with the people that are close to them. You know, discussions about sex, they 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 have remained taboo in many areas of our society for many years. And why is it that a topic that's so fundamental and so important, like I said earlier, damn near um, representative of our survival as a species, why is it so taboo in many cultures? Well, there's many perspectives to this, you know, and a lot of it has to do with evolutionary psychology and a little bit of sociology and the effects of sexual thoughts, thoughts that can have on our mental state. All these things play a part in keeping sex a taboo subject, right? Because even though sex is needed for our survival, it is something that as an individual scares us because if we ourselves cannot be fully functional in that area what does that say about us right or if we explore the topic of sex too deeply what does that do, what does that do to our communities what does that do to our family system you know a monogamous relationship was created for the purpose of survival of communities Right, because there used to be limited resources when we were in caves, and they that's why gender roles tended to be distributed, right? And and so you know, you had you know, men had to do what they had to do, women had to do what they had to do. And I and I brought it up, I brought up the parental investment theory in one of the past episodes, I believe it was a relationship episode. Um, and again. That's a little controversial today with the times that we're in, and I respect that. Um, and I know there's there's uh, feminist movements that are trying to change the paradigm and belief system 
of a lot of our evolutionary psychology theories, which is fine. I think I think we're overdue for a, for for a new uh, paradigm as far as our belief system. Because I did tell you guys um, in previous episodes, keep in mind that a lot of the research was created by a white men, b you know Eurocentric white men. So just keep that in mind. Um, but anyways, I digress. So, yeah, there, there's reasons why uh, sex has been taboo. Um, and like I said just earlier before, the, 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 the containment of culture is one. You know, the safety of children would be another one. The prospective failure as a, as a human of not being able to carry on the, the, your genetic code is another one. Um, our culture has definitely evolved. To control the frequency and the framework of sex because limited resources means that a family can only afford to have a limited number of children right so i think there's certain constructs that were created to kind of uh ease back a little bit on our on our over over um overhyped sex drive right so i think that's that's part of the reason why we, we tend to have, or part of the many reasons why the topic of sex can be taboo. Then you have um, a construct that's part of culture, which is religion. And religion has had a huge influence on sex, right? It has connected it to the moral fiber of that community. So now you have morality and sex having a correlation you know, right or wrong is not for this show to say, but it's there and it has been practiced culturally for many years as a form of sexual suppression, uh, possibly to control population. You know, and, and I don't mean mind control, although there's a lot of that because there's a lot of stresses that being sexually suppressed brings. I mean more population control in the sense that, you know, there's going to be less offspring. And, and of course, that goes back to maybe limited resources. And um, worldviews definitely affect sex. Depending on your culture and where you come from, you're going to have a particular view of sex. And sometimes as a collective society, a.e. this country, the United States of America, we tend to have a collective um, uh, cultural understanding and societal norm about our our sexual conversations, which in times when this country has been more conservative, you know, a more religious, you know, you tend to have that morality um, hovering over the topic of sex. So again, a lot of those conversations become more restrictive and the society performs as such, right? And then when we have more uh, progressive societies, more um, um, free-flowing, free abstract-thinking societies, uh, you know, it, that's also reflective of the culture and how the culture views sex, which is being able to express it more, you know, being able to express everything that has to do with sex, you know, from sexual orientation to sexual identification to um, uh, everything that has to do with it as far as talking about uh, monogamous relationships and, and all that stuff. So the culture that you come from has a lot to do with how you feel about sex. And again, on, uh, with that, we have pressures coming fr 
from us, whether it's religion or whether it's family, you know, because you could have a generation of families that have religion, maybe two generations apart, and you still feel that pressure to conform to to the culture uh, on the on the basis of, of the religious beliefs. Right. So it's something that takes a while to uh, completely go away, depending on where your family or your culture or your community is headed as far as their belief system as they evolve generation to generation. There is another fundamental idea that was that was brought about by um, a famous anthropologist known, known as Ernest Becker. And Ernest Becker wrote a, a pretty famous book that I if, if you're into this stuff, I, I, I would suggest you read it. It's called The Denial of Death. And it's a pretty popular book amongst psychologists and anthropologists and sociologists, anybody that wants to study uh, human behavior, societies in general. And according to Becker, he says that sex is so taboo because humans have an inherent fear of death, right? That's, that's crazy, right? Because why, why, why would a fear of death lead to having taboo uh, of sex. But he says that, I mean, paraphrasing what he says is that humans are constantly concerned with mortality and death, so they develop coping mechanisms by thinking of themselves not as earthly moral beings, but as immoral spiritual beings. So they tend to put themselves in the belief system of an afterlife, for example, and that's where religion comes into play at times. But engaging in earthly animalistic behaviors such as sex reminds them that they're just bags of chemicals doomed to you know, decompose when their time comes to expire. So our brain is so developed and it's so strong and beautiful uh, and advanced that we could think in abstract ways. We could think almost, we, we, we could envision our spiritual realm, right? Which is, which is wonderful. But then here we come back, we're so limited by the bodies that we're in. We're so limited by, by our shell that we carry. So it's almost like, like our imagination, our ability to think in abstract forms and, and, and think critically, right? Uh, and connect so many dots that other animals just can't even begin to. It's, it's, it's like our brain has that capacity, but yet it's stuck in, 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 in these in this feeble bodies that we have, these temporary bodies. So what we do is that we, we kind of we create afterlives. We create rituals and belief systems where we know we're going to uh, go about or, or, or you know it's almost like we become immortal right because it's like our if our brain could create that world then that's where we're going but if, if we start talking too much about sex it's going to remind us of our mortality and of, about our limitations as human beings which is the flesh and bone so that's that's Ernest Becker's theory it's very interesting it's more detailed in the book. Um, I'm just paraphrasing, but that's one of the one of the prevailing theories as to why, as a culture, and not all cultures are like this, by the way, but generally Western cultures tend to really put sex as a taboo subject.
So we've established the connection between culture and sex, right? We talked about how more conservative cultures with the religion with the religious motivation tend to uh, be very um, have sex in a very constrictive form, including the conversations about it. And we we talked about how a lot of that was to preserve culture, right? And and but what is culture? Culture is the status quo, right? And the status quo, a.e., uh, conservative views, tend to be the enemy of of progression or progressive movements. So, yes, the more uh, the the more if there is a sexual revolution cultures will tend to collapse because there's there there is more um the beliefs the paradigm shifts tend to favor the idea that if 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 sex is not taboo then everything that protects the the the, the sexual constriction also collapses AE marriages right or the quote-unquote um, family system, as far as it's been before, which was which became known as which became known as the nu- nuclear family in the in the fifties. So, with sexual revo- revolution and breaking the walls of of sex as being taboo, it brings down so many other barriers that were there to protect the idea of sex being taboo. Do you follow me? So that's why, um, you know, divorces uh, skyrocketed in the 70s and it's still going on to this day, um, you know. And, you know, feminist movements fought to change gender roles that kept certain cultures in place, you know. And, and all these things have a snowball effect and they, and they, and they have an effect on something else. That has to do with culture and community. And as sex becomes a more liberal conversation and it's been and people are able to express it more fee, uh, freely, then you have entire uh, groups of people and populations that are able to surface. Right. Like like the LGBTQ community, um, you know, you have even though it's always hard and it still continues to be hard because we're not out of the woods yet. You know, I dare say it's easier now for people to come out than it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago, even 25 years ago, even 10 years ago, because we're making progress yearly in these issues, right? Human rights for the LGBTQ community are, are also on the rise, right? So, I, by the way, they're on the rise just now, <laughs> again, because... We did have a president here in America that was trying to go back and and really, you know, put those barriers up for certain minority groups. Um, and, and well, that isn't good for anyone because there's no progress there. So. Uh, so the idea of sex being taboo is not it's not isolated onto itself. I mean, once we have movements and paradigm shifts within our society it it affects a lot of other um 
traditions and rituals, you know, like like we said earlier, like the nuclear family, like like uh, gender roles within the family. Um, now we're having, you know, single parent households that, that are thriving. We're having blended families that are thriving, that are becoming the norm. We're having, you know, extended family be the primary caregiver for children that are not their own. You know, that th these are all things that are, that are opening up and becoming the norm because certain, certain belief systems collapsed that had to do with sex. Um, and, and I find that very interesting because, again, sex is such a big part of our lives that we, we tend to um, build an entire um, community belief system around it. And when it falls, then we're able to open up about it and talk more freely about it. So that's where sex and culture are connected. I just wanted to give you guys a brief introduction on that. And it's very brief. And again, these shows are incredibly simplistic. So if I come off as something where, you know, either A, I'm not making any sense, or B, it's something that you disagree with, hit me up about it and we'll talk about it. Because I'm not sharing, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is all above the surface conversations we're having here. Um, I just don't have the kind of time to go into it very, you know, in in more detail, you know, or very deep. So, so just hit me up about it, and we'll, and we'll talk about it. All right. Now let's talk a little bit about um, mate selection. <laughs> uh, first, I want to say what I've said before. You know, this is the research that I'm talking about here. Um, it's something that I'm, I'm just delivering to you guys, uh, you know, and it's something that that was part of our curriculum when when I was getting educated on, on all this stuff. Um, I know there is a lot of, um, you know, feminist movements out there. There is a lot of, uh, you know, human rights movements out there that are trying to change the paradigm shift as far as the way we believe um, the mating selection process works. Right. So, so for the so for the sake of the conversation, we'll just go with the relevant research, and you know, with the understanding that there are people that are trying to change for the better, you know, because a lot of this research has a lot of established gender roles that tend to be very oppressive, as you know, towards women. So, you know, there's a, there's a movement to try to change that, and that's something that's being worked on, and. You know, with 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 some success, actually, uh, because a lot of our belief systems have changed even from like 10 years ago. So as far as mate selection, you know, typically the woman is the one that chooses who they're going to sleep with. Right. They're, they're the ones that, you know, through the mating process, say, OK, this is who I want to sleep with, blah, 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 blah. Whereas men tend to be seeking the opportunity to be chosen, you know, for the for the for the uh, for for the right to to sleep with a female. That's that's really in the animal kingdom, especially with mammals. That's that's what we tend to see. Um, so, as far as sex, we know that men tend to be very uh, <laughs> they, they they tend to be very uh, automatic. You know, they 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 um, 
the way of the brain works, as, as as I said with the relationships episode, they tend to be very physical, you know, and that's and that's the reality of it, you know, and and I know some women don't don't like to hear that or it brings them down, but the reality is that men tend to put physical attraction very high on the list, you know, of of qualities that they want in a woman, and and we went through we went through that last time, you know, there's health reasons for that. According to evolutionary psychology um, and other factors as well, but so so that's where men place a lot of value is in attraction, right? And of course, all things being equal, later on there's a lot of variables that come into it. You know, you have to be compatible um, from a, from a values perspective, especially if you want long-term relationships, right? Um, you have to, uh, you know. A lot of the research suggests that people are gonna end up with other people that are similar to them, whether it's a family background, whether it's income level, um, whether it's uh, health factors. Um, people tend to um, attract and stay with as sexual partners uh, people that are relatively like them in in every way. Um, so so that's that's some. Um, so, so that's why I'll give you guys an example. That's why it's rare that you see like social classes. Like, like you're not gonna see um, a, a a male that's a millionaire, you know, CEO of a corporation, all of a sudden date like you know uh, a secretary that's working, you know, um, at a law firm or something like that, or maybe like at a school setting or whatnot. You know, um, it happens. I mean, I, you know, uh, we're talking, we're, we're, we're generalizing here because it doesn't significantly happen. You know, I don't want somebody to come and say, well, you know, my cousin's uncle's niece's nephew married my best friend's friend of a friend of a friend who happens to be a CEO and she's like a janitor. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm saying it, it, it rarely happens. That's what I'm saying. It, you know, in, it, it doesn't happen enough times to contradict what I'm saying. So, in general, we tend to, um, when, when we're seeking out mates, we tend to have people that are relatively at our level in a lot of um, societal functions, right? So, anyways. And, like I said, men tend to be very automatic. Women, on the other hand, are stimulated in a lot of different ways because women although they do appreciate a nice looking body don't get me wrong now that is not in their priority list women tend to be more complex when they're thinking about what they place value on and what they want as far as seeking a potential mate right which makes it more complicated for guys because guys are like there's there you know they're, they're, they're simplistic when it comes to who they want to have sex with, right? I mean, it just—they are. It's—it's <laughs> it's a fact, man. Don't don't get upset at me. Um, now, I I did say who they want to have sex with, not who they want to spend the rest of their lives with. That's a whole different conversation. Whereas women, you know, e even for casual flings, they're gonna have they're they're a little more complex as far as what their needs are, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. Um, but the point is that a woman tends to need to be 
more mentally stimulated um, when it comes to, uh, you know, sex, right? So that's why a lot of people always often say that when you go out on a date, you know, the foreplay starts the moment you pick her up because at that moment, there's already brain, brain chemistry going on, especially for the woman, you know, I, uh, the, the, the man tends to be um, very, very uh, you know, zoomed in to the idea of sex, whether it's that night or in the future, and that's where they're at, right? Whereas the woman's more about like, you know, there's different variables that, that they're looking for. Um, and depending if they see them or not, that's going to be the turn on or turn off for them, right? So... One way to put it is like a woman has to be turned on during sex. A man has to be turned off during sex, which is very difficult. I mean, not during, I'm sorry, not during sex, during the dating process, which is very difficult to do because once a man wants to have sex and if they agree to go on a date with, with the woman, then they're, they're already physically attracted to them. And as we said earlier, that's with men, that's a huge part of the battle right there. So... Once they get into that car, it's like they, they it takes a lot to turn them off, but it does happen, you know. Um, whereas women, a woman again, they're 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 because they choose the mate, they're looking for other things, and so for them, they have to, you know they have to be turned on, and so at that point, you know the date in itself becomes a little bit of foreplay, and that's where where you know, a lot of researchers would tell you that that's really where the sex starts, right? Um, so it's very important for, for both parties, but really for men in particular, to uh, have their best foot forward on that first date, that first impression, because that you can only make it once. Um, and of course, you know, you, you, as on a side note, always be yourself, you know, always be yourself, because... I think when people go out on dates, you know, and I'm not talking blind dates, that's a whole different deal. I'm talking more, you know, getting to know someone and then asking them out. There is already a portion of you that that person likes. And just trying to be authentic and genuine as to who you are will carry you a long way in, on a date. And, and I think at the end of the day, you know, you're not leading anybody on. It's like, this is who I am. And accept it or don't, this is this is me, right? I think people a lot of times when they go out on dates, they try to kind of mirror the personality of the person that they're going out with. And so at that point, they're playing a role. They're wearing a mask, right? And that, that gets, because let's say for argument's sake that the date went well and, you know, she wants another date. Well, now you have to wear that mask again. And that becomes very emotionally draining. Any Anytime anybody has to be somebody they're not, except for narcissists and anybody with uh, other other personality disorders, because that's what, that's what they do and that's what they're good at and they have no conscience, they could do that. They could do that for the rest of their lives, you know, talking about like social paths or whatnot, because they have no conscience. And they really even don't really have an identity, to be honest with you. That's a conversation for another time. Besides them, and you don't want to date them anyway, so let's not even talk about them. Um, you know, 
you want to be authentic because being somebody that you're not and trying to play a role to be able to advance the date either for sex or for something long term. Now, I don't even know why anybody would want to be with someone for something. Well, actually, I do know, but it doesn't make any sense to me why someone would want to play a role to kind of trick somebody to be with them long term because eventually you're building a house of cards that's going to collapse. And when it, when it collapses, people are going to get hurt. So that doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, but people do have motivations for doing that. But regardless, always go on a date with your authentic self. Be respectful. Be open to conversation. And, and I, when, I, when, I, when I date, I always do the same thing I do with my patients you know, at work. I always start with them, you know. I meet them where they're at because I think it's a form of respect. Like, okay, let's go on this date. Where are you at? And once I get an idea of that, I start infusing a little bit of my personality. But I never try to, you know, smother them with with, with who I am and, and, and try to kind of, um, you know, forge them into my personality because it it, it it could be very overwhelming, you know. Um, so the respect factor starts which where, with wherever they're at, right? And, you know, listening to them. You know, you the first date should, all be, should always be about listening. Listening and validating should be what the first date should be about. And, you know, trying to get to know the person, right? Um, and yeah, so that, that that's where we're at with that. Like, like you, you, so again, first dates, sex starts right there. The chemistry will start right there. And depending where both people are in their lives, you know, it could progress to sex, right? So once it progresses to sex, then at that point, values come into play. Where do we go from here? Well, what is, how do you define casual sex? Do you define it as, um, you know, officially being in a committed relationship? Or do you define it as, we had a good time, let's continue talking and we'll take it from here? See, that, that, that's something that has to be talked about. And, and that's something that, that, that information that I, just, that I just talked about has to be extracted from, 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 the, from both individuals and clear, clearly defined because if not, people are going to get hurt. You know, if you have one person whose idea of casual sex is to just fuck and then move on, while the other person is thinking about, okay, sex is special and it's emotional, and once it happens once, we have to see if we could work something out more long term. See, those are two completely contradictory ideas. And if that information is not shared, then somebody's going to get hurt. And that's not good. So. These are the things that have to be talked about, and that's why communication is very important. Um, so, the, so once that happens, you know, again, it's all about values. But if the chemistry is there, if the right situation is there, if all these variables we talked about are there from, from finances to ethics to values, morals, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then you could start a committed relationship, which means that, let's say all things being equal, uh, monogamous relationships are defined the same by the two parties, then you can start a monogamous relationship 
and now you're in a relationship. Okay? So what does that mean? That means that you're going to have one sexual partner. Right? That also means that having a relationship, both of your worldviews are going to merge. And that's where the stress comes in. Because now it's not about being cutesy and going out on a date and then having sex all night. And then you go to your apartment and I go to my apartment and everything's awesome. It's not about that anymore now. Typically, people move in together, especially nowadays where cohabitation has become is becoming more and more the norm. Um, and actually, a lot, a lot of cultures and young people are, are not even getting married anymore. They're just kind of living together, which is kind of like what I like. But that's a topic for another day, and that's about me. <laughs> um, you know, I have my views on marriage. But so, so there they are. Now, what happens there? Is that you start to bring in a lot of stressors into your life because now here's the real world. Now this isolated, adventurous um, part of your life has 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 synced in and synergized with your everyday life, which includes the stressors of your extended family, the stressors of your job, and the stressors of your personality and whatever core issues you haven't dealt with. And they themselves are going through the same thing. So. It's very complicated stuff, and that's why people end up burnout. And by burnout, sometimes you have relationship burnout, which in turn could lead to something called a sexual dysfunction. Now, what is sexual dysfunction? Well, uh, we have a handy book in the mental health field called the DSM-5, and they've defined some of them for that for for us. Um, but sexual dysfunction are a, a group of disorders that are typically uh, identified by a clinically significant disturbance in a person's ability to respond sexually or to experience sexual pleasure. That is what the DSM says, and they include uh, delayed ejaculation, erect, erectile disorder, female orgasmic disorder, female sexual interest arousal disorder, um, pelvic pain penetration disorder, Male hypoactive sexual desire disorder, premature early ejaculation, substance medication-induced sexual dysfunction, etc., etc., etc. So all these things pretty much say that a person either does not have any pleasure from sex or cannot even have sex. So um, what are some of the causes? Well, one of the leading causes of, of sexual dysfunction, and really there's, there, there's two, uh, the two big causes are either going to be um, psychological, AE, cognitive, or they're going to be physical, which is something that's above my jurisdiction for this show. Um, but we could focus on the psychological, cognitive reasons. Uh, so a lot uh, sometimes there's sexual trauma. I know, I know individuals that have been sexually abused when they were younger. Of course, being in a sexual situation is going to trigger them and it's going to trigger their trauma. You know, I know rape victims have a difficulty engaging in uh, sexual activities um, without it interrupting in their day-to-day lives. You know, we talked earlier, so that's part of having psychological issues. Um, I think one one of the biggest one of the biggest causes of sexual dysfunction is stress, right? Because when you have kids, especially later on as the relationship develops and you have kids, then there's all kinds of stress, and people get tired from the stress. You know, am I right about that? Like, 
Like, you know, you're working all day. You come home and you have to be super mom. You have to be super dad. And next to you know, you know, you're you're been up for 20 hours, right? And it's like, do you really want to have sex? The answer to that is no. And then if you do, you know, the other now you got to think of of your partner because they're going through the same thing, right? So that creates a pattern. And if there's no communication in the relationship, it can lead to problems because now the the topic of sex has to be talked about. Because what starts to happen with sexual dysfunction is that the other person starts feeling guilty about it. And it starts affecting how they feel about the sexual relationship. You know, they start they start feeling like it's their fault or it's their problem that that, that you're not able to perform or, or, or get pleasure from sex. Right. So they start taking it. Very, they start taking it personal. And so that's why it's important to talk about it. That's why it's important to um, not only validate the person's feelings, how they feel as failures for not being able to give you pleasure or allow you to perform. You also have to let them know that it's not their fault. You also have to let them know that there's stressors that you're being dealing with, whether at work or with the kids or with the relationship, right? And if and if it's something that you're that that they could help you with, then you tell them. You tell them, okay, well maybe if you did this or you did that or did, we changed this, then maybe it'll get better. And you try different things. I think when people have se- uh, sexual dysfunctions in their relationship, one of the first things you should do is change the pattern, change the way you do things, change. Try different things, right? And understand the turnoffs and turn-ons of, of both parties. Like, like you've been with a person long enough to know, okay, this is what turns them off, this is what turns them on. Well, let's try a little more of this, right? Well, at the same time, having communications because you can't, you can't be a, a freaking mind reader. And a lot of times when we're talking about the sexual language, people tend to just not say anything. So, so you have two people trying to read each other's minds and there's no communication, and it's going to lead to problems. Okay, so that's why I think, and I've said I said it in the relationships episode. I think dating, con- continuously dating, is very important because it's going to stimulate your sex drive. You know, and um, you know, uh, uh, you know, get yourself looking nice and pretty for the for for a day, a night out on Fridays. And I'm talking both to the men and the women now, not just the women. You know, put up, put on your best suit, put on your your best dress. Because let me tell you something about self-esteem. There's a lot of research out there that that shows that if you dress to the nines and you and you feel good about the way they, the way you dress, even, you might not necessarily feel good about the way you look, or where your or where your body weight's at, or all these other social pressures that we that we're victims of. That's not what I'm talking about. If you wear a particular dress that you like. If you wear a particular suit that you like, it enhances your self-esteem automatically, and it makes you—it's almost like 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 you get this boost that you're like you're like this character out of a movie, and for that night, that's who you get to be, and it works. And what is that going to translate to? It's going to translate to sexual desire on both parties, right? Especially if you keep you know, if you play some games that you might want to create for the relationship. You know that some some games that might lead to some sexual activity, you know, um, and that's between 
the individuals, whatever they want to come up with. So there's there's all kinds of different strategies here that that people could try to change their sex um, their sex drive and and um, uh, uh, take take control of their sexual dysfunction, right? Um, one of the things that you know adding to the stress is overthinking about it. Because sexual dysfunction, when it's when it's a psychological problem, when it's a cognitive problem, is connected to anxiety. So, let's say you can't perform one night, right? And and your your wife or your husband gives you a dirty look. That right there is gonna give you anxiety, because it's only normal. I mean, your partner's, you know, disappointed, right? And they might not even be disappointed, but you're going to read it as disappointment. Okay, so it's going to lead to anxiety. So you're going to overthink it. So the next, so, so that overthinking is going to affect you the next night when you try again. And it's going to, it's, and then you're going to go through the same cycle, the same pattern. And pretty soon you're going to have this anxiety built upon itself day by day. And pretty soon the anxiety is going to be so overwhelming, you're not even going to want to go to the bed. So overthinking about it. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's going to make it worse. So the idea here is to communicate with your partner. Make your partner feel at ease. And they should have empathy for you. They should have understanding for you. Um, and if they don't, then that's a whole different conversation. That has, you know, that probably is the reason why you have sexual dysfunction. But that's, that, that, that's problems outside of the, the, the topic of sex that you guys have to work on. But your partner should be very empathetic. And understanding and supportive during this time because it's gonna benefit them too because they ain't gonna get laid if you stay we stay anxious so it's, it's it's best for both parties to sit down and talk about it and I feel like when the partner responds in a supportive way it helps ease the anxiety because all of a sudden you don't feel that stress of like that embarrassment of like I can't perform and she's upset because she's gonna tell you or he's gonna tell you. I'm not upset, and I don't want you to overthink this. I want you to take some deep breaths, and we're going to work on this together. And you tell me what you want me to do to ease into it. And this is for us. This is not just for you, because I think a lot of times people feel guilty that they're taking a lot of the um, relationship energy and putting it on themselves. And it's like, no, it's not for yourself. You know, It's for both of us. We're both going to benefit from this. So let's work on it together. And again, if we have to use some techniques, like play some games, some sexual games, then let's do that, right? Or if we gotta go on some hot dates and and leave the leave the kids at mom's, then let's do that. Let's do, let, let's do whatever we have to do together, and let's communicate. Or or if it's a behavioral issue, something that I've been doing that you don't like, or vice versa, then let's talk about that, because we don't want resentment. To follow us to the bedroom, right? So all these things allow us to come to terms that the sexual dysfunction is not our fault. Our sexual dysfunction is the result of the stress around us. And that's manipulating the inability for us to, to be able to enjoy sex or perform. So if there's stuff going on at work, you know, if things are happening at work and, and, and you're, you're overworked and you're stressed out, then it's not your fault. 
It's 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 the the workload that you're taking on that that's causing you to be ineffective at, in bed. So all these things kind of normalize the idea that that a is not your fault and b nobody here is 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 resentful for you not being able to perform and c let's work on on getting you out of this funk together whether it's the self care aspect of it of like you know what. I'm going to take a week off from work. I'm going to take a couple of days off from work because it's affecting me at home. And that's the choice that I do have. So I'm going to take that. And I and I have my, my, my partner's support. Okay? Or if it's something where I have the anxiety, you know, why do I have the anxiety? What is it that I fear? What, what, what's going on? Is it is it that maybe my partner was talking about past sexual escapades that I, I feel like I can measure up to? Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it with my partner, you know, and your partner is going to put you at ease and say, you know what, that was in the past. This is what I'm with you and et cetera, et cetera. Validate your feelings while at the same time making you understand that life is about being in the moment, not so much the past or the future. So all these things help you get to a certain place where hopefully and it's going to take some exercises and it's going to take it's going to take some uh, challenging of thoughts. Because it's up to you to do the work too now. I mean, if you have sexual dysfunction for psychological or cognitive reasons, you have to challenge your thoughts. You can't sit there and just allow your insecurities to, to, to defeat you because nobody's going to get anywhere with that. And that's really the, fun, the, funda- the fundamental basis of mental health a lot of the times is challenging your thoughts, you know, reframing your thoughts, going from a negative to a positive. These are all the things that is up to the individual. Nobody could do that but you. And so at that point, you have to really sit there and say, okay, well, let's look at the positives, you know. And my, my partner has been so understanding, which tells me that they respect me, which takes away that pressure of that anxiety buildup that I've been dealing with, right? So you start to see the progression of unconditional positive regard as far as your sexual dysfunction from your partner and why it's important that your partner support you in times like this because it's going to translate to you being able to reframe your thoughts easier you know because if you're getting criticism from your partner you ain't going to be able to reframe anything you're going to be filled with guilt and shame and embarrassment that's no way to go about anything so that's why it's a team effort to get people out of the funk of sexual dysfunction. And of course, if you have to go to therapy, then that's that's another option and you should go to therapy because sometimes that's what it takes as well. You know? And you have to really kind of understand the root of the problem because we've just been talking about psychological issues, cognitive issues as far as why we can't perform. Because that's what I that, that that's my expertise. I'm not a doctor, so I can't tell you. Now I could tell you some of the other issues like heart disease or medical conditions. Um, they do affect sexual dysfunction, but that's something again, that's something out of my jurisdiction. So I'm not gonna get into that here. But you definitely go get a checkup, and 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 you have to you have to pretty much uh, rule that out. The only way you could do the interventions that I talked about is if you rule out, 
you know, physical conditions like heart disease or diabetes, which all affect um, the sex drive. Okay. Other things that affect the sex drive is, of course, you know, alcohol use, uh, drug use. Um, some other things that affect it. Let me. Uh, testosterone levels as well. Um, hormone levels, I should say, because women and men have different hormones. So hormone levels, hormones changes, um, ch childbirth affects it because we have hormone hormonal changes during childbirth as well. So all these things affects uh, sex drive, um, you know. Uh, and of course, going back to what we had talked about in the beginning of this show, sexual inhibitions as well. So depending on our, on our worldviews, some some of us are embarrassed to try certain positions in bed, right? Some of us have a certain view of what sex is and what sex isn't, right? So we tend to shy away from it. So again, depending on your worldview, that might affect uh, your 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 um, sex drive, and it could lead to sexual dysfunction. Um, we we sometimes we have. You know we're we're embarrassed of how we look. We're not we're not we're not happy with our bodies, right? And as we get older, we tend to, you know, our bodies change. So sometimes we have we're dealing with that, right? But again, there's where your partner comes in, uh, very understanding and allows you to work through this. So all these things that are going on, a lot of it have to do with perception, how you perceive either your partner thinking of you during sex or how you feel you should look during sex and the important factor here is perception because perception is not reality a lot of the times and thus you could change it so if if you if you have sexual dysfunction because you you, you feel embarrassed about the way you look remember that's you you've, you've learned that you've learned to accept that about yourself. So therefore you could also unlearn it with the proper support group. So with all that said, let's talk about abnormal sex. What is abnormal sex? Well, I got an answer for you. There's no such thing as abnormal sex because it's all dependent on the two people having it. The only time sex becomes dangerous is when it gets in the way of your social functioning or it, it becomes a danger to yourself or it becomes a danger to others. That is it. When you have two consenting adults, they could have any kind of sex they want and it's not classified as abnormal because it's bringing two people pleasure and you could do whatever you want. Like I said, as long as it's not a danger to yourself, a danger to others, or it doesn't get in the way of your social functioning. So, for example, if you're going to be having sex all day and you're not going to go to work because you're having sex, that might be a problem. You might need to have some help with that. Okay? Danger to self, danger to others, and social functioning. Those are the three parameters. Anything other than that is fair game. There's no such thing as abnormal sex, just ignorance and cultural traditions that people hold on to as far as what is normal about sex, which is very discriminatory for a lot of people. So that is that. Um, and one last thing about dating. So I had um, one of my patients, I was working with adolescents, 
um, like a week ago. And one, one, he was like, well, I really like this girl. And I feel like if I help her out and, and, and become her friend and, uh, you know, do all her things for her, that she'll eventually become my girlfriend. And he's, he's, um, this kid was, um, 18. So he was an adult. So I, I was able to talk to him like an adult. And I go, listen, women tend to interpret friendship and sexual relationships completely different. And they actually are stimulated from two different parts of the brain. I told her, think about what a woman, how she sees an older brother who's always there for her. You know that she's not going to have sex with her older brother. So that's the role that you're going to play. You know, I told her, you, you, I told them, whenever you want to date someone, you have to be assertive and you have to communicate early on that you want a sexual relationship with this person and you want a monogamous relationship with this person. So that way they could start um, reading you from the portion of the brain that's accepting of that request. And you have to be aggressive in your courtship. Now, by aggressive, I don't mean be forceful. No means no. And, you know, it, it's, it's not about being forceful. Um, you know, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a horrible way to, to get anyone. And you're, 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 you're going to be alone and possibly in jail if you go about that route. That's not what I'm talking about. Aggressive means that if you, if, if the, in the process of courtship, if you want to be with someone, you 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 express your desire, you know, um, in a way where it's understood. I'm not saying it doesn't work when you try to go the friendship route because I'm sure somebody's gonna give me an example that they did it. Blah 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 blah. I'm saying in general, you want to be you want to communicate your what you want out of this relationship early on, so so she could properly evaluate that possibility right because if you come at her as a friend that's a whole different evaluation that that's that's an evaluation with less commitment than trying to evaluate her as somebody you want to have sex with or even have a long-standing relationship with again it's two different parts of the brain two different parts of the reward center of the brain that are dealing with this so it's not the same thing pursuing a woman for their friendship and pursuing a woman for a relationship are two different things. And I know I know I know there's a part of us that kind of like logically it does make sense to go that friendship route, but but it's not. It's two different things. And we've had many songs written about the consequences of going right into the friend zone. Trust the process and you know, whatever wherever the process takes you, you you react to it in a positive way. If the answer is yes, then you proceed. If the answer is no, then you proceed uh, as well in another direction, you know, opposite of her. <laughs> so, um, you know, women, they like aggressive men. They like uh, secure men who in the, in the uh, courtship process are confident enough to say, I want to be with you, you know, and I, and I want to I want to have a sexual relationship with you. You know, they 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 like communication to be direct and yes you you want to be assertive but at the same time you want to respect the boundaries of of the person you're trying to court so that's really a positive way to go about it and when it comes to the courtship game there's this primal 
you know, uh, I guess you could say uh, rules that that are, that are at play here, right? And as we're progressing in the times that we live in, I think more and more women are become are becoming more confident um, because we're we're certainly uh, eliminating a lot of the gender roles nowadays, which I think is a positive. Um, and more women are being more assertive and saying, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play by the established rules of courtship. If I like this man, I'm gonna go ahead and make that move." Now, if they don't reciprocate that move in the way that I'm looking for, which still means that the man has to be assertive and at times aggressive with his intent, then I'm out ski. And then you're right back to where you started. So the idea of uh, being aggressive and being assertive and showing intent and, and um, you know, acting out the intent with your actions as far as saying, I want to be with you and this is what I got to offer – you know, it's more to say uh, being confident and, and being secure enough in yourself to make that move to take the relationship to the next level or to ask someone out on a date with the confidence that you're going to respect them and you're going to show them a good time. And, and that's really what it's about. So this idea of, you know, skirting the line and being shy and not so much being shy because because you don't have the confidence being shot, mistaking shyness for being respectful, it's not going to get you anywhere. You know, you definitely have to take that leap of faith sometimes and just ask the person to go out or, you know, try to engage in the conversation to where it's going to lead to some sort of interaction that could lead to sex, right? And maybe later on, if things work out, uh, to a monogamous relationship. So that's really where we're at. And I think, um, again, going the friend route is going to put you in a different category as going uh, as, as showing the aggression or the assertiveness of just asking for what you want and being more direct about it. Right. Um, and I think a woman would appreciate the confidence and the aptitude of respect to say okay well this is what i want but if if this not if you say no then that's fine i'm okay with it because i'll move on right that's another thing too because there is nothing sexy about somebody that doesn't want you that's one thing i want to make it clear and that goes for both sexes like this idea of convincing somebody to like you it's not it has nothing to do with that person it's completely reflective about how you feel about yourself and your abandonment issues and your attachment issues, et cetera, et cetera, that we've already gone through. And whatever learned anxiety you've picked up on along the way, either from your culture or your friends, social circle, whatever the case may be, where you feel like you have to be with someone to have some sort of social dignity, right? And that's these are all things that are maladaptive. And once you start trying to, uh, uh, what do you call, um, force someone to be with you by trying to get them to like you, then you're essentially disrespecting yourself. And you're, truth be told, you're giving up a hell, hell of a lot of leverage. I'll tell you that right now. And the whatever you're trying to pursue 
is going to be disingenuous and it's going to be inauthentic. And those are the things that you don't want to be in. Because if a person doesn't like you, doesn't give you the time, doesn't ex express concern for you, and you're still trying to hold on to some sort of uh, projection that you might have on them, then at that point, it's not about them anymore. And it never was. It's about your own issues and your own uh, core feelings that you're dealing with. And people are going to get hurt if you pursue that. So it's never about that, right? So understanding that, you know, if somebody says no, then move on. Move on because triggering your insecurities and triggering your your uh, core issues is only going to make you come off as desperate. And nobody wants to be with a desperate person. And at times it will get downright creepy. So don't go, don't go that route either. Um, you know, just be confident. You know, express your intent. And follow through with your actions. Respect boundaries. And if you put in the work into yourself, if, if you um, come to terms with a lot of your core issues, then the people are going to come to you organically. You know, because like I said earlier, way in the beginning of this episode, people tend to gravitate towards like-minded people and not so much just like-minded in their belief system in every spectrum, whether it's finance, values, attitudes, everything. So if you put in the work into yourself, if you fill that cup of love within yourself, then at that point, you don't need anybody else to fill it. So not only is he going to make your boundaries healthier because there are certain needs that your negative core beliefs are no longer going to be asking for because they're really not, no longer going to be controlling your behavior. Um, so at that point, you, there's a lot of bullshit that you're going to see in people that you won't have any time for. And you're not going to pedestal them and accentuate their positives and minimize their negatives because you don't have to anymore. So as you're going through life, uh, you're going to meet people that are at the same level as you or close to it. And those are the people that you're going to attract. And I always tell people that. And, and sometimes people are in a negative state of mind where they just can't see it. But it happens. And so at that point, you know, you'll proceed. Now, I will say this. If you want to have sex and if you want to date, you have to go out and put yourself in those situations. You can't you can't sit there, uh, you know, at your house and magically uh, expect Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright to just ring the doorbell and say, "Here I am." All right. Again, you know, if if you want if you want help, you got to help yourself first. Okay. If you want to succeed, you're the one that has to take that first step. So it's like you have to put yourself in situations to meet people. Now, with this COVID right now, it's kind of difficult. So let's go ahead and pause it for now. But then later on, you know, go out there um, and put yourself in scenarios where you're going to meet and, and date other people. And there's all kinds of avenues to do that. And I've gone over those in the relationship episodes that I've done in the past. You don't have to go out and club or anything like that. You know, Although if that's your thing, that's fine. But there's other ways and other resources to uh, 
to meet people to possibly date. And so if you do want to date, go out on a lot of dates. I mean, dating brings a lot of lessons and you'll learn a lot about yourself. You know, with with the amount of dates that you go on, uh, you know, this idea that, oh, I don't trust anyone or, oh, you know, I don't date because I don't want to get hurt. Listen to yourself. That's all past trauma. Now, you should definitely attend to that. But every every case, every date should be treated as an individual case. You know, it, it should be independent from past experiences. Because it's a different person with a different personality. But we carry so much of our baggage sometimes that we're scared to date. We're scared to meet new people. And at the end of the day, we're the ones that hurt ourselves by not allowing ourselves to get that kind of experience of socializing in that setting. Right? And even when it comes to sex, you know, as long as there's an understanding, like I said earlier, a defined idea of what kind of what what sexual activity means to you and your partner and as long as there's protection involved or whatnot go ahead and have as much as you can because sex is very healthy sex is um it's a stress reliever it's been proven to help physical ailments right i mean it's 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 like a like an organic natural uh you know pain reliever it's so many benefits of sex um and so that's you know again depending on your belief system there's there's no reason to shy away from it um and as long as it's consensual you know have as much as you can of it um and you always see that people that are engaging in sex are are happier and healthier even at times um so that's pretty much it that's pretty much i gotta say for this episode my voice is a little hoarse already. Um, I, I I guess one more thing I will say. Um, I think I, I'm only speaking for men because I'm a man and I could relate to men more than I could to women. Um, but I'm sure women go through the this same thing as well. It's like if you want to date and you fear rejection, then I got news for you because... 90% of your courtships are going to be rejections, especially, especially when you try to um, go up to a woman and quote-unquote pick up on them, right, at a bar or anywhere, a restaurant. Um, there's ways to go about it, which this is not the episode for that. I'll probably do an episode on that later on. But in general, there's a lot of rejection in your future if you... If you um, just to try to get a date, okay? The idea is to be comfortable with that rejection. The idea is to not take the rejections personal. Take them as learning experiences and move on. And you have to have confidence to do that. And once you have that confidence, you could ask 10 girls out on a date, and 9 of them are going to say no, but there's going to be one that's going to say yes. Right? So that's that's the average that you got to put yourself in. Um and of course it varies, right? Um a lot of a lot of it depends on circumstances and, and confidence level. Um but 
it's like there's a lot of guys that won't even date because they're so scared of rejection, you know. And it's like, well, if I if I get rejected by nine women and the one there's one that says yes, then I got a date, and that's good because that could lead to sexual activity. Whereas if I go on no dates, well, then that's zero dates, so that's no sexual activity with another person, <laughs> you know. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a you got you got to pay the the law of averages here. And again, do it in a respectful way and in a confident way and in an assertive way, and you will get results. But you also have to have the confidence enough to know that rejection is going to be the majority of this game. And that's okay. Um, because with every rejection, there's going to be a lesson and there's going to be a learning process. And you could go on ahead and try again and again and again until somebody's going to take, um, somebody's going to like you, somebody's going to say yes. And you're gonna have, you guys are gonna have a good time. Okay, and we're gonna end it right there because I'm getting a little long in the tooth, and my voice is a little hoarse. So um, that's pretty much it. I don't like to make these shows this long because nobody wants to hear about uh, a guy talking for an hour and a half. Um, but some of them are. Some of these topics are gonna take it this long. Um, but anyways, that's pretty much our show for today. Again, reminder: uh, hit me up on my socials on Twitter, Shadows in the Cave. You know, on Instagram, Dead Boy Lost in LA, and on Facebook, Pedro Nunez. Um, and I'm going to be opening up an email specific to this show so that you guys could hit me up on there as well. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And one other thing, if you guys could give me a review on iTunes, preferably a five-star review, it'll help with the algorithm of the show. I've already got some reviews up there, which I'm very thankful for, for the people that have already reviewed the show. Um, also, you can subscribe on iTunes so that all these shows just go right into your digital device. And give me some feedback. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me how I could improve the show because the show is the show for the common person, as I like to call it. You know, we're having conversations here. There's no none of that academia mumbo-jumbo, although a lot of the research is based on academia. So, anyways, that's it. I'll shut up now. Thank you for listening. Have, have yourself a great week, day, morning, and I'll catch you down the road. Bye-bye.